guys, welcome back. We are so excited for today's episode. We have wanted today's guest on the show since episode one, season one, and today we are making it happen. So please put your hands together for one of our favorite people, Joe Saxon. Um, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Joe. If you don't know, you need to know, you need to get in the know because she's amazing. Um, Joe is an author, she's a speaker, she's a podcaster and entrepreneurial coach. She was born to Nigerian parents and raised in London. Joe brings a multicultural and international perspective to her leadership training for women. She is a highly sought after speaker. She has a diverse calendar. She's addressed universities, churches, national conferences, nonprofits, corporations, both nationally in the US and internationally in the UK and Australia. We are thrilled to have her today. She is also the co-host of the Lead Stories podcast. And let me tell you, guys, you need to be listening to that podcast. If you're a woman mm-hmm. and you lead at home, in the workplace, in a nonprofit, you need to listen to Lead Stories. We're, we are thrilled to have because she is all about equipping women for leadership. Her latest book is called Ready to Rise. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be with you both. I'm excited. Thank you. Yay. So Faith is going to kick us off. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm just so excited to have this conversation with you, Joe. Catherine is correct that we really did want to have you since season one. Um, It's just, you know, life and all the things. And so now here we are. We finally get to have this conversation because we love talking to our community of women about what it means to be a leader. We have had episodes where we're talking about, you know, um, what what you should get paid. So that episode is called Pay Me in Equity. We've, we've done a lot of different things, right? Talking about young women in leadership, singleness, career, life. And so having this conversation with you is so important. And I think it will help people as they're trying to navigate, you know, their journey yeah. in leadership and career. So I would love to know from you, how did you discern your calling and why do you think discerning our callings can be difficult, like what we feel we're meant to yeah. do in life? I would say for me, discerning calling took years. In some ways, I would say I'm still discerning calling because it looks different in the different chapters of my life and the different countries I've lived in. I have two children who are teenagers now and what it's looked like at different chapters of their life, what it looked like for me as a single woman. And there are, there are overarching themes that have been this, that have run throughout, for sure, for sure. Uh, but I've but I got hung up on looking for the one thing. I got, <laughs> I got hung up on, on looking for the passion um, that would be the thing that would make me get up in the morning. When actually hunger gets me up in the morning. <laughs> hunger gets me up in the morning. morning. Passion, not my, um, my kids will get me up in the morning, whether by choice or otherwise. But, um, but I think I had, I, the first thing that helped me discern my calling was to dismantle all the expectation of what I thought that discernment process had to be, to be valid and to be real. Um, and in the end, it was more to do with the advice of people who were wise and, no, the encouragement, actually, more the encouragement of people who were wise, but who were not weird. You know, <laughs> I'll have to clarify that. Um, but people who would, would help me look back and say, Hmm, I've seen you mention this thing as being really important to you a few times now, or you've, every time I look at what you're doing, I see these similar principles, people who'd help me unpack my story with me. These things seem really important to you. Tell me more about why they're important to you. And they weren't prescribing what a call was, but they was, sometimes it's hard to see your own story very clearly. So what, what having somebody alongside me, like trusted friends, I don't always say friends, I say trusted friends because some of your friends, I just want to do an audit on and make sure they should still be there before we yes. clarify whether they should be involved Max. in this chapter. But because, but, you know, it happens. But I would say to ha- if there are trusted friends who are not the kind of friends who hold your hand to your own destruction, but friends who will say the good things and say the hard things and say, hey, I've seen this come up with you again and again. I, I think those things are are worth taking notice because they're helping you discern what's happening in your life. And discernment actually does tend to happen in community. Like you might get a gut sense about something or you might feel God's spoken to you or have this passion that happens in private. But the discernment of the how, the when, the where, the what often happens in community. Yeah. That's so good. We, I think we've talked a little bit about this before, like that you should be discerning calling in community and that that's so important. Um, 
So I'm a huge fan of Ready to Rise. I found the book to be so helpful. It spoke to me on so many different levels. Um, I think as a younger Black woman in leadership, and you wrote something I thought um, in the chapter about already kind of having your voice, um, about how for smart Black women, there's a temptation to kind of hold back or pull back being your full self or bringing your full voice or, you know, walking kind of firmly in your calling because it can be a detriment. And so I guess my question would be for you, how did you overcome that in your own life? And then for us as like young black female leaders, um, how, how should we go about overcoming that temptation to just like pull back and not bring our full selves? Yeah, I think when I was in my twenties, I was in a, I was working for a church and I was probably one of two or three black women in the church. I, me and a friend used to joke that we doubled the numbers when we stood in front of the mirror. It was that, do you know what I mean? It was that kind of vibe. <laughs> um, it was back in the nineties and wonderful people. But I remember, I remember the time when I was invited to start speaking and there was a kind of coaching group for all the people. All, and I thought, ah, I can't, I can't do this your way. I can't speak like, and, and I watch these guys take notes and listen to the senior pastor and say, yeah, I want to learn like that. And, and it's not that I didn't want to learn. It's just that my stories are different. My stories come from, from my aunties and from growing up in inner city London and from the different hardships that might make some of you uncomfortable to hear and the realities of racism and sexism and all of these things and how God had weaved his faithfulness through that time. My stories didn't come from those places. And also England is a bit more of an introverted culture and I'm not, I'm not remotely that. And I thought, how do I get to, how do I do this in a way which is, is right. But, and if it's okay, can I can I show up fully? Because I, I honestly I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether I could mm. I could be faithful to the opportunity and still be myself. Yeah, that's good. Still be the way that the Lord had wired me, and um, and so I remember and and then thinking sitting in this training time and thinking in principle this is really helpful, but it's not helping me at all. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and so I remember going away and sitting down and thinking, okay, what does your own voice sound like? Which is a hard. I wish I'd thought, I sh- thinking about it now, I should have called a friend or something, but I didn't. And then so I thought of the the kinds of things that mattered to me. And I thought, what are the things I love watching on TV and why? I don't know what. I was probably because I was raised by television. I said, <laughs> that's probably why. And I thought, I'm always drawn by um, things that are honest and funny, but really honest. I, you know, and, and if I'm going to be speaking to people, I want it to be, I don't want it to be just casual intellectual entertainment. I want people changed because it is vulnerable to get up there and do these things. And it was a way of helping me tease out how I was wired. And I thought, I don't want to be embarrassed by my stories. I thought, oh, they can feel weird. I'll just be me. And I'll just, I'll just be myself. Um, but it was very vulnerable. It was, I, rem- I would, I, I mean, I, I would shake. I would have these moments beforehand where I'm be like, this is, this is your last day. This is your last day at work. It's been a good innings. You had some friends. I hope you've got, I hope you've got savings. But and, and <laughs> it wasn't because I was saying anything especially harsh all the time. Cause I wasn't, it's just that I was so different from everybody else. And, and it took me a while to not feel like an, I was an imposter because I was so different. Um, because my jokes were different, because my music references were different. Everybody, I mean, this is the 90s. They're all talking about, well, it wasn't Coldplay yet. It was Oasis and everything. And I'm talking about 80s and 90s hip hop. And I'm talking about soul. And I'm talking about how we all listened to Anita Baker when we were growing up and, all, and Janet Jackson and all these things. And I'm like, Does, has anybody heard of Anita Baker? Do you know? <laughs> and the beautiful thing was they had, but it, um, and the beautiful thing was actually that you kind of, people received a whole, and they're like, oh, I mean, and obviously they'd heard the classics or whatever. They hadn't heard everything, but it was, it's like, okay. And I thought, well, if I'm going to lead faithfully to how I've been wired, I have to not be ashamed of how God wired me. I can't mm. even be embarrassed about that. And yeah, so it was, good. that was, part, that was one of those moments. I mean, it happened a lot of times throughout my life, but that was one of the first times when I'm like, okay, this is what it looks like for you to step into a space where you may look different from everybody else, but you've got to be faithful to how you've been wired because your giftings come alive in the place where you are faithful to your call, but you're faithful, not just in the doing, but in the being of that calling as well. Mm. And the being mm. of that call as That's well. Good. And I 
guess I would encourage anybody, I mean, anybody who's in that position, black women, I would encourage us, uh, as when you're stepping out, to. I wish someone would sit, would have sat me to, like real talk. I wish someone would have told me how toxic assimilation was earlier. I wish someone would have told me that it is like acid, but it's dressed up as a cocktail. It's dressed up as a cocktail for your success and a way in which you'll be liked and you'll be loved and you'll be celebrated. But as you drink it, you don't know immediately that it is corroding a hole in your soul. I wish I'd known. That is good. That'll preach. I am, that is, listen, I'm like, I need to write that down. <laughs> that is incredible. I wish I'd known. I wish someone had sat me down and said, Joe, this would be the this will be the biggest price you pay if you if you make that choice. Because it has been every time. Every time. Yes. I wish that too. I'm not gonna lie. I wish yeah. that too. Yeah. I think that's definitely something I think we can all especially I think as black females in this sort of predominantly white spaces, like can all identify whether that's where you are now or you've been. I feel like we all have had a season in our life where it's like it has been sold to us as something good for us. And it has cost. It is very costly. It's huge. And it costs you the richness of what you can bring, you know, and it costs you the contribution, the God given image bearing, do you know what I mean? Beautifully anointed contribution that you are to your space, whether that's in a church, whether that's a nonprofit, whether that's in a business, it costs that environment too. And rather than doing this kind of version, which you hope makes you okay, and then somehow you didn't realize in doing that, that you were agreeing that you weren't okay, that you weren't fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. You agreed with that. Yes. Will preach. You're agreeing. <laughs> yes. 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 You will, You are agreeing with the lie. That is why it's poisonous. That is so good. That is so good. Yes, that is so good. I mean, just the mental gymnastics alone. Wow. That you have to do. So what would you say then to... Um, you know, a black woman that is trying to find her, you know, voice um, maybe is also kind of like afraid, you know, of even using um, her, you know, using their voice for being able to say something or speak up because they feel like, okay, I'm going to be seen as being too much or I'm going to be stereotyped in a negative way. I mean, what is something that, you know, you would say to speak into that? Because that's a big fear, a lot of people have. And it's a real fear because it's happened. You know, I mean, I, I would love to, you know, it, it'd be easy to say, you know, it's going to be all right. It isn't always going to be all right. It isn't. Do you know what I mean? It's, I would love to say it's going to be all right, but it's cost me jobs at times. It's cost us opportunities. It has cost relationships. And um, so I, what I would say is, is build your network now. Uh, do you know what I mean? Build your, build, build your network of support. Find out who your real friends are. Find out who your people are. Build a village of support because you will because you need a home to be come come home to every time. Um, some people you will meet on your journey will, will be like, oh, surprise, but then they will journey with you. And some won't. Some will and some won't. But if you if sometimes I mean, when if you're being faithful to like the truth in terms of speaking truth to power. And stuff, I think it would be naive for us to expect that that's always going to have a happy audience. It, it, you know, yeah. it's not always going to have a happy audience. But sometimes if we, we don't want to get, and I, and I say this because I've been in this space and I have to keep reminding myself to come out of this space. I have to come out of the idea that somehow the reaction is a sign of whether I'm doing the right thing or not. The response is a sign of whether I'm a leader or not. The response is a sign of whether I'm a good leader. And because otherwise I'm doing great when everybody likes what I say and I'm doing terrible when everybody hates what I say. I'm doing, I'm doing right when everybody loves me. I'm doing wrong when everybody hates me. And that's not necessarily mm. true. It's not automatically true. So I would say to us, uh, I, I would say to that woman starting out, part of the fears are there because you have probably by now encountered some kind of reaction, rejection, abuse, um, you've been overlooked or your beauty has been overlooked or, or something about what you bring. So it's understand the fear is understandable, but if you are, if you live by that fear, then those toxic words are still having their work and impact in your life. 
So I would ask you, what does it look like to get the support you need? Is it that you need a therapist and to unpack some of these things? If so, get it. Because I would rather have therapy for a year than need it for 20. Do you know what I mean? It's diminishing returns, friends, otherwise, you know? I would say, who are your people? Who are the friends who can help you, who can support you, who can encourage you, who can remind you of who you are? What has God placed in you? What has God, what gifts and talents has he given you? Because uh, if you're not celebrating them, it's a lot to expect everybody else to. Yeah. Nope. Own, own, own it. Own the talent that way you have with numbers, the business ideas, the entrepreneurship and all of that. And then where are the communities where you that you can root yourselves in? And in some ways, those things don't tell you how to handle that person because you have no control over somebody else's response to you. And again, the thing I wish I had learned earlier, which actually I wish I learned that one in school, that you have no control how, how to, whether they like you or not in the end. You can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. And I would just say for us as as women, uh, us as black women, as um, women of color and and minorities, wherever you would would say you, there's a part of me which would love to say that it's okay. It's going to get better. And and, but history seems to have cycles. I mean, history seems to have cycles. But I would ask you, what is the best way for you to live fully into your gifting? What is the best environment? environment to live fully, fully into your gifting what it, we're not looking for superheroes or princes to rescue us we're just seeking to be faithful so then the other thing i would say practically is have your money together have, do you know what I, mean? I would have your money together have your plans together have your life together leads for grown-ups this ain't this ain't a kid's game this is for grown-ups that is so it is so true because you know over the years, I have watched people, you know, in majority white spaces, help their friends, you know, catapult to the next level, help them catapult to the next, you know, realm of business or whatever. And so, you know, but I, but I have seen that when it comes to, you know, black women, women of color, mm-hmm. there's, how do I say this? There's, there's invitation, but there... But there is there isn't a sense that same sense of of loyalty of catapulting right yeah. as there is as you see for other colleagues and I find that very interesting when you're saying have your money together have your stuff together because you need to be prepared because for a black you know woman oftentimes mm-hmm. in spaces mm-hmm. you know one false move and you're you're you could be you could be un, 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 uninvited unpaid and so i mean how do you kind of navigate those things i mean how do you navigate it's very it can be very complicated and it can be very frustrating um how do you navigate it is there like a next is there you know is there just okay this is when you you build a, a new table like what does that look like mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are multiple ways because I think I think what you describe is accurate. Well, it's not even I think I know it's accurate. It's accurate, and um, and I, I and I'm not saying this to be defensive, or because I think you have there are your listeners have beautiful, wonderful, rich gifts and callings that are for human flourishing. For human, I, I say this as candidly is because you the gifts you have can change people's destinies. If you become an ethical banker. You are changing families and your community's destinies. It's that important. That's why I say this is candidly. And I think that, but I want us to be honest about the world we're in. We live in a space of created scarcity, created scarcity. I often would hear my friends say, oh, you know, there's no scarcity. We live in, we have, a, we have abundance. I'm like, you might. You, I'm, do I believe God is an abundant God? Yes, I absolutely do. What he is. Do mm. I believe that abundance has been shared equally? Just look at the world in which we live in. I mean, I'm just being honest. And so there's had to, so, and when I call it um, create scarcity, I often liken it to a game of musical chairs. You know, back in the 80s, when I was a child, born in the 70s, in the 80s, we used to go to our Nigerian parties and stuff. And so, and these, we would have different, part, we have different dances. But at my other friends' parties, we would have musical chairs. And at musical chairs, you know the drill, the music is going but there aren't enough chairs there and there never are. There's always more, there's always less chairs than you need. And so you've got to run and you've got to dance and the music changes direction. And then you, and everybody's walking and you're going faster and faster and faster and faster. And then when the music, so you slam into the chair, get your foot on that chair, get your butt on that chair, any part of you that shoves. 
And that's great when you're a kid in the 80s and you're listening and Janet Jackson's asking, what have you done for me lately? And that's in the background. It's not great when you're a leader, but it's still happening. We are in created scarcity where there's room for one woman, one black woman, one, one, um, one of us, one of every type. Or in some professional spaces, one minority. One of every ethnic, you know, my minority, right? <laughs> and and that's not diversity, that's an outlier. But but it's presented as, as, as such. And I and and I say that to us to take some of the guilt we feel and the frustration we feel in environments of creative scarcity where you're exhausted. Well of course you're exhausted. You're running around to get a seat at this table. You're working longer hours. You're doing twice as much because all our parents had to sit us down and tell us that was how we'd get even anything. And at certain times, we, of course you're feeling frustrated because you're watching people who are as talented as you, who are as gifted as you, seem to propel further than you. And it's like, what's the code language that I'm not hearing? That, and, and I'm not saying that to, I, I, I mean, the data on equal pay shows the disparity. It's not, this isn't radical stuff. I mean, the data is showing us this. And, and I think when we find ourselves in those places of created scarcity, we have to ask ourselves, um, is this worth it? Or is yeah. there a table I need to build elsewhere? And But I understand why we're there because we've got bills to pay. We've got parents to look after. We've got college debts to clean up. We're trying to build a life for ourselves. So of course you're fighting for that space when there are 40 other black women who are as qualified as you. It's actually not about your sisters. It's about the fact there aren't enough chairs there. There aren't enough chairs. And there will never be enough chairs there. No, because the table is a terrible idea in the first place. There we go. But what we do with that is we have to yeah. decide what kind of leaders we're going to be. Who are we going to elevate? Who are we going to be generous with our time, with our opportunities? Are we going to be generous women? Oh, word. Are we going to be generous leaders? Are we going to open up doors um, for one another? Are we going to refer one another? Or are we going to say, this created scarcity landscape is all there is. And so I'm sorry, all I've got are my crumbs. I don't have enough to give you a crumb. All I've got is if I'm quiet enough and if I'm nice enough, I might get to sit at this table for this year before they rotate me to the next black woman who, of the day that they, they're interested in, you know? Um, and But I think we I think we are invited to be something different, to live something different, to lead in different ways, which creates room. And 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 I, I don't say this to, I don't say this as a, even a criticism of anybody anybody else doing what they do I'm, I'm simply saying in created scarcity when when you're hungry <laughs> when you're hungry and there's a little bit of food for you and your nearest and dearest you fight for that food yeah and 100 and, and the, the environment makes you feel bad or you feel bad because and when actually no one's asking the question but there are fields over there <laughs> i mean there are whole over there and i would invite us to think through the kind of leaders we can become and whether the environments we're in can help us thrive. And if they can't, how long we stay in them. And and that's not all, you know, for some people, like I walked out and I yeah. kept on, that's not realistic for everybody. That's not realistic for everybody to do that. This might be a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. This might be a two-year plan. But we, but if that's what we're seeing in, in our environment, you know, who I can't even remember who it said, who said it, when people show you who they are, believe them. Yeah. Maya Angelou. And I only know that because for years, my mother pretended it was her quote. (laughs) (laughs) And then one day when I think when Maya Angelou died, like people, you know, it came up and I and I said to my mom, I was like, wait, I thought you made that up. And she's like, oh, no, I saw it on Oprah. Maya said it. And it was just like, this is such a black mom thing. Whatever. It's collective wisdom. But I would encourage, so I would encourage us to just know the world you're in. Let's, let's do our work and, and seeing, seeing what we are, what we're called to, where we want to thrive, where the spaces are. And, and it may be the space that I often feel that my, my calling has gone on a wandering path where I've had to go and build things. And it's been painful. It's been painful because I'm like, hold on a second. I'm on this wandering path and I feel like, I feel like I'm in the dark here. And you're in the light getting all this all this sunshine and beauty and all this kind of stuff and it and it, and it hurts it really does but um at the same time i i've got one i've got to keep on doing mm-hmm. the thing i'm called to do and i've got to make sure the the grief and the sorrow does not become bitterness whereby i self-sabotage and don't move forward because what is the point with all those beautiful gifts and that beautiful calling and all these opportunities if then the bitterness takes you out I mean, that's just rude. Yeah. 
that was that that is so good and i hope that this is like freeing for so many people because i think one thing that often happens in these situations especially when you start to feel like that is you feel like you're being gaslit like i'm the only person you know something is wrong with me that i can't make this environment work or if i try harder or run faster on this hamster wheel they're they're gonna accept me and it will be you try to make does yeah you try to make deserts places of thriving and permanence and i feel like you have like freed us from the like you don't need to do that sis (laughs) it might be time to move on (laughs) It might be, and it's just, I think sometimes it's just being aware, being aware of what the, the reality of the world around us and being aware of the tendencies within ourselves, being aware of of who we are and the broken pieces of our story and how they how they can intersect sometimes, not not for the greater good. I think it's it, being, we want to be aware as leaders and we want to be healthy at self-leadership, healthy with our EQ, um, with our emotional quotient, not just our intelligence. I think those things are those are worthy investments mm-hmm. in our leadership because we want to be around for a long time. Yep. We want to be leading to the fullest of our God-given capacity. And that may, and if you've picked yeah. up scars along the way, if you picked up bruising, of course you're going to walk with a limp. There's no shame in the limp. It's just whether you, what, how you're healing up on that stuff. So I, I, would, I would just invite us to, I, I think it, it, it just is healthy for us to, to take an honest look at where where we're at internally and where, what in the environments we're in, but also to remind ourselves that we need then to be, I've learned to really treasure, to really treasure the relationships where opportunity has been real and sustained, where there is always room for me to grow. In some places it's a season and it's like a season's changed, the winter has come, I'm out. <laughs> um, and some things are, are longer, but I've learned to really treasure the, the places, the people, whether they're like me or different from me, where it's been, where it, where there's been room. Um, because those things, are, those things are good for your soul. Yeah, I think one of the things you said that I'd love to come back to and talk about mm-hmm. is you said something that you feel like sometimes your path or calling has been sort of meandering. And I think that's yeah. like a feeling we can all kind of identify with. Like we're really excited in the beginning and then we get to this place where it just feels like, we're muddling through. And I think particularly given the last 18 months to two years with this pandemic, it can feel just stagnant or empty. And I guess a question I would have for myself and I think also too for our audience is like, how do you get through that feeling? Um, Mm -hmm. How do you kind of reignite your fire or passion? yeah, how do you, I mean, I think sometimes it's maybe okay to muddle through, like just to get things done, but it's like, you don't want to live in a state of that. And so I'm just, from your experience, how do you move through? Um, I think there is a, I think it's good to audit every so often because, and I think it's good to acknowledge what has been lost. You know, I remember there was one of the articles early on in the pandemic from the Harvard Business Review, and it said the discomfort you're feeling is grief and just, and I mean, it was understandably went viral. And so I kind of read it every three, four months just to like, yep, still grieving, still grieving what we've lost economically, still grieving what we've lost um, relationally, still grieving because 2020 wasn't wasn't just about COVID. Do you know what I mean? There, there was so there was layer upon layer upon layer that was that that the fault lines were opened up to, to tell the stories that we always knew existed Yeah. Um, in other ways. And so there was just grief upon grief. And and um some of it was naming it, just naming and acknowledging that's the space. And if you have been wounded, you know, we don't expect anybody who's wounded to run at the same pace. Mm. And yet here we are, like, I got knocked down here, I got knocked down here. Why am I doing all I used to do? Because you've been wounded. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. You've been wounded. Why are we, no one's asking you to be Usain Bolt when you've had your leg broken. There's just no need. And there's no, there's no capacity. So I think that's part of it. And then I, I do think, though, it will help us if we make sure our expectations of ourselves and our moving through and moving forward are not 2019 expectations because the passions aren't always found. They are built over time. Mm. Um, we may not find that motivation that we're used to having, that were the markers of us kind of coming into our own and coming into our strength. We may not find those immediately. We may not find those at all. So what does it look like to put one foot in front of the other? Not because, I mean, if the passion is there, game on. But if it isn't, if it isn't and it doesn't come back, then it may be that there are just habits that you're putting in place because bills still have to get paid. And that's okay. 
That's, that is actually okay. Because, you know, we look at, when we look at our heroes of faith and these men and women throughout the Bible, there's a lot that they don't know. And there's a lot that, that, that we know because we've read the end of the story and someone's given us a kind of picture version, all that kind of stuff. They didn't know what was going on. You know, they didn't know that it was going to end well. Um, in some way. And so I, I, I want to, re- and I don't say that to minimize passion or minimize vision, but more to not count yourself out if you don't have that right now mm. in the middle of those. Because the other thing is that we see throughout history around the world is that these times of great pressure produce innovations, which may mean that you will have new ideas. So you don't, you don't want to always look for the old ones to come back. You might, you might want to find new innovative ways of being. Mm. So I think some of it is, what are the things that can give you life and just restore your soul right now? What are the things that can restore your soul or that you may have even uncovered in the middle of, you know, maybe when you were only allowed to take one walk in a day because of where you were shut down, that walk became that place of healing and life gift where you keep walking because that may be the birthplace of your innovations. Or maybe there was one particular person you'd catch up and have conversations with or questions you used to ask yourself. Maybe the, maybe the best thing you can do for vision right now is simply say, who do I want to be in this crisis? Or who do I want to be on the other side of this? What do I want for, what do I want to become? Because I think when you've had lots of disappointments, I mean, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And if your heart sick, it's, and, and again, in, in the Bible, the heart isn't your feelings exclusively. It refers, the word in the Hebrew is... Lev, and it refers to your will, your mindset, um, your motives, your motivations, all that makes you you. If that all is sick, if, that, if that's all sick, then it's going to be really hard to feel like, yes, I'm getting my, your get up and go just got up and went. And it didn't take you with it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I've had to kind of buy. My prayer has been help me disc uncover passions, interests, curiosities again. Maybe I'm not passionate, but am I curious? What am I inquiring about? What am I inquiring about? And can I follow that curiosity a little bit? And in practice, that might be asking us, us questions, trying things, experimenting. And in the leaders I'm coaching, I encourage a lot to experiment right now and to remind ourselves that the experiment is not, the success of the experiment is not whether it works, but what we find out in that experiment. You know, like when you did science at school, the point was what you found out and oh, that turned that color. And that was the thing. It wasn't like, oh, it's blue and it's meant to be pink. It was that you discovered that it produced this color. What do you discover in the experiments that you're doing right now? Because that could uncover, it'll either reconnect us to the passions that we're used to, or it will help us uncover new ones. That's good. So good. Oh, I love it. I'm like so invested. I'm listening to this conversation. I'm like, oh, this is for me. Like this is. Funny. I'm oh, like, this is funny. for me. I'm like, <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> this is more. like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to listen to my own podcast, and that's going to be weird, funny. but no one's going to know because I'm not have headphones on because I'm going to need to be reminded of it. <laughs> it's important though. It's important. I think we need some grace to ourselves in this moment. Oh, my goodness. We absolutely need to have grace for ourselves in this moment. I feel like more than ever, just what you were saying about you've been wounded. You, you know, you're walking with a, you know, a limp and, you know, working to heal those places, but you're just not going to move at the same pace. That alone had me sitting here like, correct you know I have sat in my house so many times thinking to myself why am I not doing more why am I not moving faster why am I not like all these other things and but this is the first time um, in my career I made a very conscientious choice to slow my life down on purpose you know the conscientious choice to move in with my brother and you know uh, my roommates are now a two-year-old and a four-year-old who sleep in the next next door in their room. You know, writing a book, but resigning from my job. Like I literally committed to slowing down because that's what I needed. Mental health-wise, it's just what I needed. Yeah. But in good. doing that, oh my goodness, the feeling of like I'm I'm not moving fast enough. I'm not doing this enough. I'm not doing that enough. It's like a mental like. I'm, I'm in a mental rat race with my own self, right? There's nobody else racing, you know, but I, I'm in this mental rat race with myself. And listening to what you're saying, 
it's encouraging because it's like, okay, it's okay if those other rhythms don't come back the way that they were before. Like you're saying, what is there to create, to discover, to to reimagine? And that's the kind of thing that makes me feel like hopeful. Because there will be some hope in the story. It's just sometimes we're looking, what we think is hope is actually nostalgia, you know? Is actually us looking back. And nostalgia, don't get me wrong, like I love, I, nostalgia's beautiful. Like 80s hip hop, I feel nostalgia. I feel nostalgia when I see Salt and Pepper's earrings and everything. I don't feel so much nostalgia when I see it come back round again. And I'm like, oh, now I'm 47. <laughs> but there's something, you know, there's something, there's some beautiful memories. There's some beautiful, there are people things remind me of, or there is, there are, there are, you know, you hear one song and it takes you back. You know, you whatever, of whatever era, you hear a song and it's like, that reminds me of that time when me and my girls were doing this or we were there and it was, it was summer 1992 and we were doing this in London or whatever. Nostalgia is wonderful, it, but it tells you where you've been and there are lessons, but if you're expecting to feel that now, that's a heavy weight on yourself. That's heavy. And as people of faith, we are not invited to be nostalgic, but prophetic in this moment. So to... The moving through is a prophetic task, as in, I don't know where I'm ending up. I don't know how I'm getting there. I'm taking one step at a time with God. And even though it doesn't look like that glorious heyday where everything was warm, the food was perfectly cooked and the music was banging, and now it just looks like, oh, it's just me in a rocky... <laughs> I'm going to be faith I, I, Because I'm moving through and moving forward, somehow we will build something out of this. It's understandable that it doesn't feel as good as before because this is the day of small beginnings that, that sounds great but feels awful. But small beginnings are the start of oak trees, friends. They wow. are. They're the start of revolutions. They're the start of cultural shifts and seismic change. Small beginnings are the start of new opportunities for human flourishing. You've got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is for me. I feel... <laughs> I'm... We're... we're, we're so deep. I'm just over here like, wow. Wow. This is for, listen, this for me and Catherine. Catherine and I are both like back in our family's houses. We didn't start it all the way over. Okay. Like we, I just, it's like this recording, other people will listen. And even if they don't, the Lord has just, he is just shifting some things and confirming some things. And it has just been, cause I, I think that's right. Like it, the, you're saying that sometimes what we feel like is hope is nostalgia. It's like, yeah, I want to get back to where I was pre all this upheaval in my life. And I'm not going that way. And I think it's hard. I think it's hard. And you know, when you're talking about in the Bible, I just think of like Exodus. It's like, it's hard to see that promised land, because it's somewhere you've never been. So it's like easier to be like, okay, well, this is a place I've been, I'm comfortable with, I was happy here. My vision for even what the promised land looks like is shaped by this place I've been. And so you're like, yeah, hope and nostalgia, that just blew my mind. I mean, I'm sitting <laughs> over here like, wow, wow, wow. But when you're talking about not despising, you know, like these small beginnings, right? The These new places. The minute you said that I was thinking about something I've always really loved and wanted to do, which is be so present for my niece and nephew's life. It is like the, the most treasured time that I have with them, getting to um, play with them and, you know, talk to them. And my nephew, he always tells me, you're my favorite. Like, I just love you so much. And this is just like time. Like, I would never get, I will never get this time back. They're only little for so long. And there's just something life-giving right now for me of looking at my little you know, two and a half year old niece and who she is and loving her and believing that I can have a part and a hand in helping this next generation of black kids feel loved and valued, strong and powerful and healed. And, you know, like being able to help cultivate that, it feels so special to me. And it sounds wonderful because it also sounds like a shift, like the expression of your values. You know, maybe somewhere in this journey that you found yourself on, the values, your definition of success has changed. Mm. 
and and your de- definition of what really matters to you. What are you going to care about when you are, you know, 20 years from now? What are you going to care about? What's going to what's going to matter to you most of all? And so actually, it's like then if that's the case, if there's a sense of, oh, that was my definition of success before and this was important to me, but it, was on the, it, wasn't on the, it wasn't manifest in the way it is now. Now this is the key thing. You don't want to be assessing whether you're doing a good job by your previous definitions of success because they, they've had an expiry date. They expired. And so now it's like, well, if, 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 this, is my, if this is part of my new vision, my, the new emerging life that I've been given, you can't, you can't judge today and you certainly can't judge tomorrow by yesterday. That is so true. New every morning. Mercy new every morning. I think, you know, when we when we have these conversations and we talk about these musical chairs and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. I don't want to play musical chairs. And I don't want to feel like, you know, you know how sometimes, you know, there's that sense of like how people can be you know, like pit up against one another, right? Yeah. I don't want to be like pit yeah. against my sisters. And I am much more invested in the collective flourishing of black folks, of people of color, than I am interested in trying to get white folks to understand that. And I think that's what has shifted for me maybe because it's a lot of work trying to convince people and I just don't want to convince people anymore. And and I think there's something there's something very telling because one, you didn't have to convince everybody because not everybody asked you to convince them. Yeah. I mean, some, some of your white brothers and sisters actually didn't need you to be Google on their behalf. And, and I think the other thing is there's something quite dehumanizing over, over and maybe immediately or over time when realizing you have to keep on showing up to people to tell in a particular way to tell them you exist. To say you're here. Like, if you really do believe that men and women, that every man and woman on earth is made in the image of God, I actually shouldn't have to explain that much to you. If we really believe, if we really have that as our fundamental theological understanding, that if you see someone like me, anyone flourishing, and if you see someone like me flourishing, this should be a massive affront to you. Without me having to say, you might ask me for details, but not the, you might ask me for out of empathy, wanting to say, so what happened? But not convince me. Right. You don't have to be convinced. Yes. No. I, that, and, and, I, and here's the thing. If we, I mean, now we are, I, I'm aware that people feel called and sent to certain things at certain times. I'm just not convinced that you're called to be the help. Well. Um, and I, and I, I guess my question for, or that we're called to, to be an, an apologist for black existence, for black flourishing. When the when when they're made in the image of God, mm. so uh, I think that's I think that's very wearing on people. It's broken a lot of people to try yes. and pers- have to keep on defending your right to be seen as a human being, right? As to to defend to have to keep on articulating why you're equal because you're not asking to be more. Just it's just a recognition of your of your also made in the image of God. Right. Also fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, yes. Also celebrated by the King of Kings. That's a lot, it's a lot to ask, a lot to ask. And and meanwhile, if you spend all your energy trying to do that, what about the actual calling? <laughs> what about that the actual is... in that company to be a statistician? What about the actual calling in that company in marketing? What about the actual calling as a nurse, doctor, teacher? And why are we surprised if your performance is affected because you have had to carry the weight of something that was not your job, but became your job because you were the outlier in that organization? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. I think that you hit something that I say all the time on the podcast is I really think a black person could have cured cancer if they did not have to deal with racism. The amount of like mental energy, not even just mental. And I want to say this because I think, you know, it's easy. I will say as an Enneagram eight to discount emotions, the emotional energy it takes to navigate, to run the musical chairs, to be a part of this system that we have 
rather than saying like this is not God's vision for flourishing that we like Christians participate in. Yeah, it's just it's too much. It's too much. It's a lot. It's a lot to ask. It's a lot. It's a lot to ask. It is. And I don't think it's the father who's asking. Mm. Mm. Wait, can you say that again? I just want to make sure people hear that. <laughs> I said it's a lot to ask, and I, I'm not convinced it's the father who's asking it of you. I don't. And, and, and you know, I'm not one who says that all, like, I don't think being a believer is Disney. Do you know what I mean? Where all your dreams come true. I'm not saying that. I'm not, like, this ain't American Idol. This ain't the voice where you get picked and selected and you're a rock star. That's not what I'm saying. I, I get that we all go through tough times. I get that we, I get that discomfort and challenge and stretching, sometimes rejection are, are integral parts of the walk. What I'm saying is, is, is that God's delight for you? I don't think so. And do I, I don't, I don't think, I don't see that. Yes. Yeah, we see in scripture, don't we, that there are moments when Esther's like for such a time as this, but that's in the face of genocide folks. And that's because God wanted to change something. The whole let my people go was God wanted to change something. And, and he took him out from those places. <laughs> you know what? That's I am thing. being taken out. That's the revelation. I I am being re I removed. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I think we have to, uh, and, and this is why I said early on that I found assimilation so toxic because it made me stay longer in environments that were not good for me. Mm. That were not good for me. That, that it made me not say things. I'm, uh, it made me not say things that I would have said, not address things I could have addressed, not absorb, absorb, absorb. I absorbed a lot. It was like, I was like a sponge of taking it in, in the hope that maybe my presence and my example would illuminate something for people around me. I absorbed things. And I, I, I mean, there was always a moment where, you know, I'm still me and I'm still not taking everything, but, there were, but, but I would still tolerate I'd even get into the debates on things and absorb the blows and absorb. And I, I don't even know what day it was. I don't even know what it was. And I thought, hold on a second. What's the, what's the fruit of this? Mm. What's the fruit of this? How, can I honestly say that me absorbing and assimilating and minimizing myself and changing myself has actually produced lasting fruit? Can I honestly say that 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 God is like, okay, kid, we went in, we did this thing, and it changed the world? Can I honestly say that? No, I can't. I can't because the people who were changing changed anyway. And and actually, if you got one rate, if you got one grape, if you got one, if you got one bunch of grapes, is that still worth twenty years? Is it? I mean, you've got to ask. Opportunity costs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing an audit here. I'm just doing one an audit. Bunch. Oh my goodness. <laughs> one, bunch one bunch of grapes. Is that enough? And would they have gotten that if you'd have if, if they had a book? <laughs> if they had access to a book, like would they have been like, oh my gosh, wow. And then you're like, oh <laughs> you 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Is it worth 10 years? Is it worth five? Is it worth one? What's it worth? And I, I ha I've had to ask myself, Lord, and, and I tell you, that was, it wasn't a conversation with anybody, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't a particular event, but it was in my quiet time when I'm like, oh God, did assimilation work? Has it changed anything? Because if I know things by the fruit, what do I know? What do I know? Has it changed anybody's, or, or is more still being asked of me? Just, just a little bit smaller, Joe. Say it a little bit nicer, Joe. Be a bit kinder. Be patient. I, let me tell you about a meeting I was in eight years ago. Eight years ago, where I nearly, I, where I nearly lost my mind. But in some ways, I found it. Where I, I was in an, in an environment which has historically not been very good for women and for women and for people of color. And one of the people said, "Could you just be patient with us?" He goes, and we just want to end. Oh, I know, I know we've got a lot of work, but we're catching up and, and we, we just asked you to be patient. I said, we've been already waiting a long time. I said, what do you think this is? This is patience. That we're actually here in the room is patience. Uh, <laughs> patience is that, <laughs> patience is that this is a conversation. So I said, you got to hurry up. I said, you got to catch up. 
we gotta move we gotta move this along (laughs) because we've already been patient and now we're sick we're sick of it I, i think sometimes you have to ask like you know in the silence and stuff you gotta ask yourself that was so right. good. The one bunch. And then I just, I had been reading in Isaiah uh, about vineyards and God and like his heart for us to have yeah. like abundance and yeah. um, just about the greenery and fruitfulness. And so when you said you got a bunch of grapes, I'm like, that ain't what scriptures no. that God had. So, <laughs> ta- okay, Catherine. <laughs> It's more creative scarcity. You got to sit on that half of half of your butt got to sit on that chair for 25 minutes and we're calling it fruit. No. No. Mm. Y'all, listen. We just gotta ask. We just gotta ask. And then, you know, we'll see what I am I am shook because I thought we were gonna help other people, but I I can tell you for a fact, Catherine and I are the ones who've been helped and and blessed (laughs) by Joe. And I promise you, we could sit here and talk for like two hours and Catherine and I would be like glued to the screens if y'all could see our faces. We were like, oh my gosh. Um, But Joe, we want to thank you for joining us because you have given us incredible wisdom. And everybody, we really want you to go get ready to rise wherever books are sold and listen to the Lead Stories podcast and follow joe on social media we'll have all of um the handles to her social media in the show notes but you can follow her at joe saxton she's incredible if you haven't noticed that already ready to rise is a amazing book and joe's a phenomenal writer so please get the book also it is time this is your first time joe but this is it's time for our favorite segment and yours to our listeners go off sis So this is a time where we talk about something that is a mess in the world right now and something that we are loving. This can go anywhere from deep to superficial. We really don't discriminate. We just want to have fun. So um, (laughs) Catherine is going to go first. Okay. So my mess, because I always like to start with a mess, move to something hopeful. Um, My mess is, okay, I like Drake and I know that he is shallow. I do not expect Kendrick Lamar level deep thoughts about anything from Aubrey because I just, I feel like it's beyond. I'm like happy for the Instagram captions and the bops, but I am not a fan of the song TSU on his latest album, Certified Lover Boy. He samples R. Kelly. And for those of you who don't know, because apparently Mr. Aubrey is not aware, R. Kelly is currently on trial for sexually assaulting many, not one, many. many multiple young black women. And I just have to ask, as part of a larger conversation that we try to have on the podcast, is our black brothers, we have to do better. I, I understand racism, we're we're with you in the fight, but y'all gotta deal with the sexism. And y'all have to care about black women the way we ride for you. And so, Drake, having been to your concerts, I know a huge part of your fan base is black women. And so just the disrespect of putting money in R. Kelly's pockets while he's on trial, while allegedly, I'll say allegedly, as a lawyer, you know, let's cover our bases, allegedly. (laughs) But, you know, with the documentary and all the things that we know so far, we know he was married to Aaliyah as a teenager. I I I can't support that. So certified, you're you're a mess and that's a mess um <laughs> my bless keeping with the music theme um casey musgraves and yeba which is abby backwards i learned that um have released new albums this last week which are phenomenal highly recommend checking them out um just great songwriting and singing and then my like quasi serious one is complimenting black women you don't know it just gives me such a rush when i'm like out in the grocery store with my mask on and like someone is like oh you really did your eyeshadow today (laughs) and like oh that skirt is so cute and i just love that and i love that sort of language where it's like okay polka dot you know that we have among black women and that really it really has blessed me this week the sort of um just our sort of unspoken language with one another and we're just out and about so that is my blessed mess this week. Okay, well, I am going to start with my mess. 
Um, I don't know if it's much of a mess or I'm just entertained by mess. Maybe that's what it is this week. Um, <laughs> we are definitely entertained I always, I am always entertained by mess. This is the way that I just disconnect from the heaviness of life is watching some kind of reality show. First of all, last, a few weeks ago, <laughs> Catherine talked about watching The Sweet Life on HBO. So, of course, I had to tap in and watch it. Y'all, I watched the whole season of Sweet Life and... Um, um, it was so good. I feel like Catherine and I need to do an episode on Sweet Life now. But also, I am enjoying the mess on Big Brother. I have not watched Big Brother in a few seasons, right? But this particular season, I heard you need to go and watch it because the black people have created a plan to take only black people to the end. Now, I'm still like in the middle, but it is true that through the season black people are the last ones left so i have to watch because i am invested because now i've started from the beginning and so i'm at the beginning watching this mess unfold and i am curious and i'm proud i'm not gonna lie i am proud um to see can i just say this as a big brother regular watcher the context for this is there has never been a black winner of the u.s version of big brother so there are six people of color after the summer of one of CBS's commitments was to have more diversity in the reality shows. So there are now six contestants on Big Brother that are of African-American or African descent, um, which is the most it's ever been in the house. And honestly, the further you get into the season, you can tell they really don't like each other, but they have made this collective commitment for the cause that there will be a black winner. Yes. <laughs> so there's lots of drama and it's, you know, people are like, oh, it's racist. You know, to have a show that's been on for 23 seasons in America that has never had a black winner, I would say that seasons one through 22 were racist. But you know what? Me. I was about to say, why doesn't anybody say that when, you know, white people be doing what white people do? Anyway, nonetheless, get into it. Get into um, the mess on Big Brother. It's funny. Um, okay, so my bless, what I'm loving right now. Y'all, I think this goes to something that Joe said earlier, just long-term friendships, like good, solid friendships. I went to Virginia Beach to um, visit one of my good friends. Um, we were roommates in college, and it was just so good to see her. We laughed so hard, and we just talked about, like, man, I just needed to see you. I just needed to see a friend. And it was just so special to have that time to connect. Our lives look so different now. Um, since college, but it was um, really great just to laugh. And we actually were watching Wife Swap, y'all. I don't know how they got away with that reality TV <laughs> back then, but we we were laughing so hard and we said, you know what? They would not make it swapping two different kind of people like they did back then these days. Like the kind of conversations nope. they were having when like <laughs> we were watching the episode with the black mom where the where oh, in the handbook it had said that the that the dad says the n-word and um yes y'all gotta go watch that episode well we laughed so much watching this episode but we were like there's no way this would fly these days like there's just no way so Anyways, if you want some good, you know, reality TV before it was really reality TV, it's so funny to go back and watch Wife Swap because I was like, how? How were they accomplishing these differences? This would never, somebody would probably die these days. Like, it just would not happen. <laughs> like, that, it just wouldn't work. Anyway, so that's mine. Joe, it is your turn to, you know, just jump in, whatever you want to say. That's what you want to say. Yeah, I think my, I will, following in your, both your footsteps, I will start with my mess. And I, my mess is, or the mess I'm seeing is Met Gala. Can we admit that some of the clothes are just ugly? Can we just admit that? <laughs> yes. Can we just say, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Why are we doing this? And how are you okay wearing yes. this? <laughs> there was one outfit by a woman who is a beautiful woman, but but it, I, I, and I guess there was a theme involved, but you, all you could see was the whites of her eyes. I didn't need to be frightened like that. Mm -mm. <laughs> and what about what's that one guy's name? He had like look like he had a blanket on. He's with Rihanna. Oh yeah, yeah. ASAP Rocky wore his quilt. ASAP <laughs> brought his blankie. <laughs> it was very big, and I just thought, well, it's maybe the ventilation is such that you needed to keep it wrapped up warm, but it was. 
it was, um, I don't understand it. I don't understand. Sometimes I'm like, oh, high fashion is just too high. And I thought, no, but when do we just say it's ugly though? Hey, come on now. <laughs> do we just say, can we just say it's ugly? Okay. So that, yes. that's my mess. My bless is, and my bless is often Target, but but this time I want to tell you about the beauty of Target's relationship with Ulta, which means that Ulta is in my Target, which means that Mac is in my Target, which means when I need foundation, I go to Target and I use my Target card and I still get my little discount and it's all in my Target. I, I love it. You. That was a genius yes. move. Your Target I is incredible. I, I, there was it's just a phenom. It's a phenomenal. It's just amazing. And now I'm just like, it's got Ulta there. I just stood there and thought my life is about to get so much better and spendy. <laughs> Listen, the, her funny. Target, Catherine, has Ulta now, but they also have like a little like uh, liquor wine area like attached to the Target. So if you want to get, you can, and they carry Black Girl Magic wine there. Wow. I said, what? There's... There is one Target in Dallas that has Ulta, and you better believe I have been. (laughs) But also, I was. This is the thing about living in Dallas and like in a major city now. Like, there's a Target somewhere in the Metroplex that has like a built-in, like skin situation. Like, um, you can go in and get like facials and like. Yeah. They're doing a lot. Target is again. Target. We are thankful. We're always Target is always a bless. We love Target. Yeah. They are in it to win it. Target. They are, they in it to win it. Mm-hmm. We love them. Thank you again so much, Joe, for being on the show today. This was phenomenal. I hope that you were blessed. I hope that you will re-listen and take notes because this was just if you allow those nuggets to sink in, hopefully new things will grow. Um, please ask your friends to listen. Melanated Faith, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Help us get to 200 um, reviewers. Feel free to join our Patreon community. We're going to be doing some special things. We're going to be doing a recap of the fifth and final season of Insecure. You're not going to want to miss that. We're so both sad and excited. It's bittersweet. Um, But thank you guys so much for joining us today and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.